Political leaders in the age of pandemic like to compare disease to a wartime enemy. We are at war with the virus, says the World Health Organization. Other leaders compare caregivers to soldiers on a battlefield, or infected people to civilian casualties, or describe entire communities as warriors who will brave down the consequences of disease. When we hear warlike metaphors about battling COVID-19, combating infectious disease, and fighting against illness, we should know that in the colonial world of the 19th and 20th centuries, these metaphors were material realities. Colonial armies formulated and carried out public health directives as part of their conquest of empire. Soldiers cleared farmlands, forests, and stagnant water enforced colonial rules about personal hygiene, separated the pure from the filthy, forced subjects to be vaccinated. Military and economic conquest and public health were tightly interwoven. European colonization spawned spatial and racial orders with which we still live. By the start of the First World War, European imperial powers occupied some 85% of the Earth's inhabitable land. Networks of power, trade, and communication extended across the globe. European empire was a regime of extraction, extracting raw materials, food, and sources of energy from the earth, and extracting labor from colonized people. Disease played a central role in shaping the colonial order. Medicine and disease were sites of conflicts, contradictions, encounters, rivalries, and power within colonial empires. Boosters of empire pointed to Western medicine to justify the white man's burden, so-called, to occupy and rule over others. They described the tropical colonial world as dangerous, primitive, and putrid, ripe for disease. Colonial subjects were viewed as carriers of disease and danger, which must be contained. Symptoms of sleeping sickness or malaria, like fatigue and weakness, became associated with racial character in contrast to European vigor. Medicine was both a vehicle and an expression of the Western civilizing mission. Some of the most sweeping colonial policies and powers ever attempted were enacted in the wake of cholera, malaria, smallpox, and yellow fever outbreaks. Okay, to be real, most of these measures were uneven, underfunded, often ineffective, and often met strong resistance. The hype was always louder than the reality. But there were real-world effects. Over time, colonies and colonial peoples became laboratories or testing grounds for sanitary policies, reproductive technologies, drug trials. Colonies became models for disease control, regulation, and experimentation. Colonial public health first evolved to protect European soldiers and their interests. It quickly became clear that treating Europeans in isolation often was not enough to stave off disease and attention widened to colonized people and places. Colonial enterprises also needed healthy workers to run their mines and plantations. In some cases, disease actually motivated imperial conquests. Historian Mariola Espinosa shows how U.S. authorities in the 19th century were fed up with the cost of yellow fever outbreaks in the American South. Cities like New Orleans and Atlanta occasionally had to shut down completely to stop the spread of yellow fever. This was a major motivation for the U.S. invasion of Cuba in 1898. Americans wanted to control the pipeline for trade, but also for disease. 
which passed through Havana's harbor. Once the United States invaded Cuba, the occupiers initiated a massive sanitation campaign. Everywhere they went, colonial powers reshaped landscapes. In many places, they imposed a spatial racial segregation, which still survives in various ways today. Colonial authorities and companies transformed the environment. They dug irrigation ditches and built dams. They installed railway lines, cleared land and forests for plantations. They mined mountains and quarries for metals and fields for petroleum. They installed spatial divisions, which drew resources from some areas and peoples in favor of others. Land and property arrangements were overhauled to suit Europeans' need for raw materials. The rise of plantations and cash crops led to breakdown of traditional cultivation techniques and often led to local malnutrition. Sugar and tropical fruits for export covered the arable lands of U.S.-occupied Hawaii, Cuba, and the Philippines. Rubber plantations replaced rice fields in British Malaya and French Indochina. People there had to import rice to replace what they once grew for themselves. The imported rice was industrially milled and missing key vitamins for survival. New open-air contiguous irrigation systems promoted the spread of malaria and bilharzia in the Middle East and Africa. Cleared land for plantations and animal diseases imported from Europe together reduced the numbers of wild game animals. This shifted mosquitoes and flies' focus from animals to humans, increasing rates of insect-borne diseases. A zoonotic of cattle rinderpest in southern Africa, for example, changed that region's disease ecology. In the Belgian Congo, changes in territorial boundaries disrupted traditional agriculture and increased indigenous peoples' exposure to tsetse flies, which carried sleeping sickness. Networks of steamships and trains facilitated the circulation of people, goods, and infectious diseases. We can see these networks at work in the last Black Plague pandemic at the end of the 19th century. The pandemic traveled slowly by land across Asia in the mid-19th century. Then suddenly, in the mid-1890s, it entered the global circuit of steam-powered travel and rapidly spread across the globe within a few weeks. As it encountered ever-denser concentrations of people, death rates increased. 40,000 people dead in Guangzhou, China. Six million Indians died. These steam-powered networks also conveyed massive population transfers across continents and within colonies to serve the need for the labor force. Colonial powers needed vast labor supplies, which they acquired by force and by requiring money payments for taxes, which meant that subjects needed to earn money by paid labor. In some cases, extreme violence was used to subdue colonial subjects and to force them into hard labor. But the effects were not only material, they were also ideological and medical. In the age of empire, disease was figured and reconfigured in terms of race. Colonial thinkers explained disease in terms of racial difference. In doing so, of course, they masked their own responsibility for disease, colonized people's exposure to environmental changes, the uprooting of traditional subsistence, the social upheaval and violence that came with imperial occupation. Racial theories of disease assumed that people were best adapted to disease which was common in their ancestral lands and most vulnerable to foreign diseases. In other words, people 
fatally by fate, inherited resistance, and vulnerability to disease, depending on their racial background. Some doctors thought that bodies were shaped by climate, so a northern European entering a tropical climate was destined to wilt and fade if they did not take vigorous care. Slaveholders thought that slaves who had been living in the Caribbean region for several years had been so-called seasoned. Their bodies had adjusted to the tropical disease environment. Those long enslaved people fetched higher prices in slave markets across the Caribbean and the American South. Colonial doctors thought that Europeans got sicker from tropical diseases than native peoples, who they thought were accustomed to their local climate. Of course, doctors rarely checked on the health of their colonized subjects. When they did, they often discovered rates of disease as high or higher than those in Europeans. Sick colonized subjects were often blamed for their own disease, as if they would be normally healthy, if not for their poor hygiene or bad behavior. Racial theories of disease justified segregating colonial cities and regions into separate zones for Europeans and indigenous peoples. When bubonic plague hit Cape Town, South Africa in 1901, authorities forced Africans into segregated neighborhoods, far from Europeans. This policy of sanitary segregation was the ancestor of South African apartheid policies and their extreme segregation of black Africans. Similar sanitary segregation was imposed in French Dakar, Senegal, and British Sierra Leone. These kinds of assumptions may sound familiar to you. Racist assumptions still shape a lot of discussions around today. When experts talk about sickle cell anemia, for example, as a disease characteristic of African Americans, they often imply that anemia is a racial disease. In fact, people from all historically malarial regions are more susceptible to the mutation that causes sickle cell, including Southern Europeans. Racial susceptibility to disease is also often talked about in terms of behavior. Certain ethnic groups are blamed for their diets, their exercise habits, their social behavior, as if those alone explain differential susceptibility to disease. When COVID-19 appears as a battlefield, when the dynamics of disease are racialized, when ethnic groups are tagged as responsible for their own differential susceptibility to disease, these are the marks of the colonial legacy.